supposed to think together tonight about good works, about doing good as children of God. There are few, I believe, in the religious world who failed to realize the need of being involved in good works. After all, Jesus is our example. 1 Peter 2 and 21 tells us that we should walk in his steps. Also, the scriptures teach us that Jesus went about doing good, Acts 10 and 38. Christians know that they are to be involved in good works. Titus 2 and 14 tells us that God redeemed us, the Lord did, those who were zealous of good works. So doing so is a sign of Christian maturity. Are you, am I growing in Christian maturity? Well, a part of that depends upon our good works that we perform. Paul informs us that the man of God is complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work by the scriptures. Let me read a list. I'll not uh, quote the scriptures. I'll just mention these things, showing how much the Bible emphasizes good works. Doing works worthy of repentance, Paul mentions, as well as John the Baptist. The end shall be according to their works, and Paul's talking about some false teachers there. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. There is a reward that is according to his works. Showing thyself an example or an example of good works. Be careful to maintain good works. Over and over, it's good works. Be careful to maintain good works. Provoke unto love and good works. Faith, if it has not works, is dead. By faith, or by works, faith is made perfect. By works, a man is justified. The Lord said, I know your works, and writing to the church at Ephesus. He said also, give unto you, I will give unto you according to your works. I have not found your works perfect, the Lord wrote. And their works do follow them, Revelation 14 and 13. And the dead are judged according to their works. That's just a, a real brief introduction. So what we want to do is look at some of the principles that will help us do good works in a manner that will be pleasing unto God. So we ask the question, for what reason are we to be involved in doing good works? What's supposed to motivate us? Is it to be seen of men? Are we to do it to receive man's praise? Well, we all know the answer to that. When we turn over to Matthew 6, let me read a few verses, 1 through 4. Jesus said, take heed that ye do not your righteousness before men, to be seen of them, else ye have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. When therefore thou doest alms, sound not a trumpet before thee, 
as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have received their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. And thine alms may be in, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy father who seeth in secret shall recompense thee. So he goes on to say too that when we pray and when we fast, that's not to be done for public display. Is it uh, to bribe people? You've heard of rice Christians in certain areas where they were pretty well hard up and rice was provided and that sort of drew people to want to be a part of it. After World War II, there were a number of, uh, well, not too many, American evangelists who went to Germany. Among the group were, was Otis Gatewood. And they saw the devastation in Germany just right after the war was over, and so they asked that American Christians send food and clothing for these people. They were in great need, and much, much was sent to them. Now, a lot of the people who received the clothing and received the gospel and became Christians are still Christians. Now, there may have been some rice Christians. I, I don't know about that. But it was given by Christians over here for people who were in need. So they did it for the right purpose. Everyone must obey from the heart. I mean, you can't say, well, now I'll give you this food if you'll become a Christian. Romans 6 and verse 17 tells us that thanks be unto God that whereas you were servants of sin, you became obedient from the heart under that form of doctrine whereunto you were delivered, being made then free from sin and a servant of righteousness. We must obey from the heart and not for some material gift. And we're to be involved in good works, and here's the real purpose, for glorifying God. That should be our motivation. In Matthew 5 and verse 16, Even so, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, now that sounds like a contradiction in the next chapter when he said, don't do it to be seen of men. Jesus says when they see it, you don't do it for that purpose. That will bring glory to God, that you're doing a good work in his name. Also in 1 Peter 2 and 12, Peter's referring to the Gentiles who made fun and mocked the Christians. He said, let them see your good works and they'll change their, their attitude. Having your behavior seemly among the Gentiles, you act right before them, that wherein they speak against you as evil doers, they may buy your good works, which they behold glorify God in the day of visitation. That is, in the day of salvation. When John F. Kennedy was inaugurated, in his speech he made a statement that uh, we all remember. He said, Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Well, that's a good principle. 
I think this is a challenge for Christians to follow this same principle in guiding us in serving the Lord. We should be less concerned about what is being done for us and giving more attention to what we are doing for others. For example, ask not, therefore, whether this is a good congregation of which to be a member, but ask whether I am a good member of the congregation. Ask not, therefore, how much I am loved, but how much love I have shown. Ask not, therefore, how many get-well cards I receive, but how many have I sent to others? Ask not, therefore, who visited me, but whom have I visited? And ask not, therefore, how much I get out of classes, but how much I contribute to make the classes interesting and edifying. Ask not, therefore, whether I was remembered in prayer, but whether I faithfully prayed for others. And ask not, therefore, who did or did not speak to me, but how many others I greeted. And ask not, therefore, whether my good work, my good work is recognized, but whether I have given honor to whom honor is due. So, the question is asked now, to whom or for whom are these good works to be done? This has been a discussion in the Brotherhood some years now, but let's look at some answers from the Bible. To whom or for whom should these good works be done? Well, when we turn to Matthew 7 and 12, the Good Samaritan, excuse me, uh, the Golden Rule, that ought to answer it. All things, therefore, whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, do ye also unto them. If I want people to, to serve me, ought I not to serve them, whether they're Christians or not? 2 Corinthians 9, 13. Seeing that through the proving of you by this ministration, and Paul in these two chapters is talking about the gifts that brethren were giving for the poor saints in Jerusalem and Judea. That's the ministration. Seeing that through the proving of you by this ministration, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession under the gospel of Christ. Now, and for the liberality of your contribution unto them and unto all. Not just the Christians, them, but unto all. Galatians 6 and 10 is one we usually use. <clears throat> Therefore, as you have opportunity, work that which is good toward all men, and especially toward them of the household of faith. That includes everybody, does it not? Also Acts 24 and 17. Now, after some years, Paul is talking about, he's there in Jerusalem. He said, now, after some years, I came to bring alms to whom? To my nation and offerings. I didn't bring these just for those who are members of the church. Paul was devoted to all Jews, all descendants of Abraham, 
He said one time he would have given his life for them if it would have helped save them. A mother had been lecturing her small son, stressing that we are in this world to save others. Well, the little boy considered this for some time, and then he asked very seriously, well, what are the others here for? <laughs> so, what are these good works to consist of? Well, in 1 Timothy 6 and 18, we find this. Command those who are rich in this present world to do what? To do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, this is addressed especially to those who were rich in this present world. But you compare our life today with their lives. I mean, the rich, even then. They have indoor running water. They have indoor toilets. They have anything operated by electricity. I mean, do they have cars? Uh, we have everything that the richest didn't have then. And so I think we ought to apply this to us today. To do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And certainly this involves time, our time. This involves sharing our possessions. In Ephesians 4 and 28, Paul said, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him work with his hands, that which is good, that he may have whereof to give to him who hath need. That's a good work, to give to him who hath need. There are opportunities sometimes that are missed. Sometimes we just overlook things. When we're satisfied, you and I, with less than our best, we hinder the cause of Christ. And thus we live beneath our privileges. Remember the Lord's parable of the talents? What did he say about that one talent fellow? He took his talent and buried it. He condemned him, did he not? Here's a little rhyme. Opportunities missed. There was a very cautious man who never laughed or played. He never risked. He never tried. He never sang or prayed. And when one day he passed away, his insurance was denied. For since he really never lived, they claimed he never died. Well, we can miss opportunities. How often should we be involved in doing good? Well, here are a few good Bible examples that will help answer our question. When we turn over to Acts 9, there was a woman there by the name of Dorcas, or Tabitha. And she's described as a woman who was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. She was full of good works and alms deeds. She died. Peter was about 12 miles away in Lydda. He had just made a man who was paralyzed to walk, and word reached about and I suspect that they sent for Peter because maybe he could do something to restore life to Dorcas. I don't know. But they did, and they brought Peter there. And when he came, the widows were there, 
and they showed Peter all of the garments and the coats that she had made for them. She was a woman full of alms deeds, full of good works, highly commended by those that she had blessed. Of course, we know Peter restored her to life, but she's a good example for us. Jesus said in John 15 and 8, For herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, and so shall ye be my disciples. Jesus said if you, do, if you bear much fruit, two things will occur. One is you're going to be glorifying our Father. Secondly, you'll be one of my disciples. In that very context, he talks about bearing fruit, bearing more fruit, and here it's much fruit. It's superlative. The best, the most. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to bear much fruit. I'm not interested in just little fruit or even a little more, but much. And in that way, we glorify the Father. These are some of the incentives why we should be bearing much fruit. Paul wrote in Colossians 1 and 10 why and what he prayed for these brethren in Colossians. He prayed for them to walk worthily of the Lord unto all pleasing, bearing fruit in every good work. One more passage. This is Titus 3.14. Paul wrote, And let our people also learn to maintain good works. Now what for? For necessary uses that they may be not, that they may be not unfruitful. I think he's talking about here the type of works that we go out and work 40 hours a week or 50 or 60 or whatever. So we have a paycheck. So we'll have some funds to help people who are in need so that they can be not unfruitful. We're to be fully overflowing in good works. <clears throat> we receive a bulletin from the church in Centerville, Tennessee. It's a large congregation. And in the bulletin that we received the other day, it says the elders have requested several brethren to serve on a committee to study our benevolent program, especially with reference to financial assistance. We have an unusual number of requests for financial aid over 1,000 per year. Now, that would be a, a full-time job looking after those requests. Someone says, uh, calls up, comes around, we need some help. <clears throat> and you talk with them and find out what their problem is and how much, and you have to decide on every case. Over 1,000 every year. Now, we have a number that come here, but it's nothing like 1,000. And Centerville is about the size of Byron, but it's a large congregation. Tenants running up into the 700s. But they are well known. People know where to turn when they need help. And so they turn to them. Well, how are these good works to be done? Let me give you some Bible examples. Hezekiah <clears throat> is a, an example, if I can find where I... I can read his verses here. We turn over to 2 Chronicles 31. 
We call Hezekiah good king Hezekiah. His father Ahaz was one of the worst kings. He had taken the altar out of the temple and had substituted some idol altar that he had seen up in Damascus. And he thought, well, that's, that, that's better than the one God provided. He, he did a lot of bad things. But Hezekiah came along to restore God's way, to clean up the temple, to get the priest in their work, and so forth. Well, let me just read a couple of verses that summarize Hezekiah. And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah. And he wrought that which was good and right and faithful before Jehovah his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. Hezekiah was blessed by God because he gave himself fully to carrying out these good works. Also, we should uh, carry them out with much action, not just lip service. We studied about 1 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. We should do it in a way that's pleasing, in truth. Also, we should do it with steadfastness. Romans 2 and 7, to those who by patience, that is steadfastness, in well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. And we're talking about eternal life this morning. When do you have it? Well, this verse says he's going to give it to you. You're already Christian, but you don't have it. How about with zeal? Titus 2.14 tells us about Jesus who gave himself up to redeem us from all iniquity and to purify unto himself a people for his own possession, zealous of good works. Jesus wants those people whom he has redeemed with his blood to be zealous of good works. So with zeal, he means with eagerness, intense desire. We're not to be weary in well-doing. Galatians 6 and 9, let us not be, or, uh, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, if we faint not, we shall reap. Also, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not vain in the Lord. And so over and over we're encouraged to do good works. <clears throat> Wishing to encourage her young son's progress on the piano, a mother took her boy to a Paderewski concert. And you've probably seen him on television from time to time. He's not just a good piano player. He's an entertainer, Paderewski. He died a couple of years ago. But after they were seated, the mother spotted a friend in the audience, walked down the aisle to greet her, and seizing the opportunity to explore the wonders of the concert hall, the little boy quickly got up and eventually explored his way through a door marked no admittance. But when the house lights 
<coughs> dimmed, and the concert was about to begin, the mother returned to her seat and discovered that her child was missing. Suddenly, the curtains parted, and the spotlight focused upon the impressive Steinway on stage. In horror, the mother saw her little boy sitting at the keyboard, innocently picking out Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And at that moment, the great piano master made his entrance, quickly moved to the piano, and whispered in the boy's ear, don't quit, keep playing. Then leaning over, Paderewski <clears throat> put his left hand down and began filling in a bass part. And then he took his right arm and reached around the child, and he added a running obbligato. And together, the old master and the young novice transformed a frightening situation into a wonderfully creative experience. The audience was mesmerized. And is that not the way it is with God? What we can accomplish on our own is hardly noteworthy. We try our best, but the results aren't exactly graceful, flowing music. But with the hand of the Master, our life's work truly can be beautiful. The next time you set out to accomplish great feasts, listen carefully. You can hear the voice of the master, master whispering in your ear, don't quit, keep playing. And feel his loving arms around you. Know that his strong hands are there helping you turn your feeble attempts into true masterpieces. Remember, God does not call the equipped, but he equips the called. And he will always be there to love and to guide you onto great things. Just keep playing, the Lord tells us. Being involved in good works will keep us from eternal destruction. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 19, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, it's cut down and cast into the fire. On the other hand, as we've already noticed from 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19, that they do good, <clears throat> that they be rich in good works, that they be generous and willing to share, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on the life which is eternal life. Not laid hold on it yet, which is eternal life. Also in Matthew six nineteen to 21, Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not consume and where thieves do not break through and steal, or where thy treasure is, there will be thy heart also. So laying up 
the way we lay up treasures in heaven is by our good works, by serving one another, by helping people who are in need, by being God's helpers, and in that way glorifying God. Are you a child of God? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you completed your obedience to the first principles? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, you have to. You're going to go to heaven. Do you have that faith so strong that you want to change the way you live? That's not in accord with his way. Make that confession. And then be buried with him in water for the purpose of reaching his blood, for having your sins washed away, and then to be raised to walk in newness of life a child of God, seeking to serve one another by serving him, or serving him by serving one another and walking in his steps. If you're subject to the gospel invitation, won't you come as together we stand and sing?